Hello, and welcome to the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. The man you're about to meet has quite the resume. He is a multiple time author, scientist, former investment bank analyst, podcaster, and writer of an award-winning thesis out of Princeton University. I must give a disclaimer though, the topics we're gonna discuss today might take you out of your comfort zone because this guy does not pull any punches when it comes to the realities of what we perceive and the things we're not even aware of. Prepare to get your consciousness expanded by Mark Gober. Mark, welcome to the show. Ace, thank you so much for having me on. Hey man, it's my pleasure. We are going to jump into it, but before we do, I would like the audience to know that they can learn more about you and the amazing books that you write, including your latest release, An End to the Upside Down Reset. Check out that book, his other books, and you can also find a link to his podcast on his website, markgober.com. Mark is with a K. Gober is G-O-B-E-R, M-A-R-K. G-O-B-E-R.com. His podcast is called Where Is My Mind with Mark Gober. It is a show that asks the question, what if consciousness comes from outside the body? You can follow him on Facebook under Mark Gober or Instagram at Mark Gober underscore author. All right. I normally start out by asking my uh, guests how they're doing, but since we are just coming from the quantum field, so to speak, Joe Dispenza, that can be altered by going into a higher level of consciousness, I'm going to ask you a different question. Who do you want to feel like today? Hmm. Well, I don't have a person in mind. I'm not aspiring to be someone else. But I I think my answer is um, I want to be the, the best, most authentic version of myself. That's awesome. Your true self, the guy, when you take off the masks, take off the facade and really speak from a high level of consciousness, that's really who you are. And I really appreciate you saying that because that is something we are going to jump into and discuss today. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. However, like I said before the show, I want to get to know the man behind the books, the man behind the podcast. So I don't have anything specific in mind. You can start from when you were five years old, 15 years old, 35 years old, doesn't matter to me, but I would love for the audience to get to know a little bit more about you and where you came from and how you became the man you are today. Okay. Well, this is a great place to start because my background is very traditional and mainstream, and we're going to get into the ideas that don't really align with my background. Uh, People are often surprised when they see what I'm writing about relative to where I came from. So I um, grew up outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and was always very focused growing up on sports. I was a competitive tennis player, uh, so I was traveling around to tournaments. I was very focused on academics and also social life. Um, so I, that was kind of, I was a very busy kid growing up, but I was always focused on the next thing that I was trying to achieve and accomplishment. So I was achievement focused and very much profession, perfectionistic, Okay. even though I didn't really, other than just wanting to succeed, I didn't really have a purpose behind it other than there was no other option like losing in tennis or failing on a test. Those were not options in my mind. So that's where I come from. Um, I went to Princeton university for undergrad. Um, and very much the same kind of mentality. I was very focused on grades. I was on the tennis team there. It's a division one program. Uh, our coach at the time was uh, a former world number one doubles player and top 50 in the world singles player. So I was very privileged to play under him, but it was all, it was a very time consuming, uh, aspect of college is to be on the tennis team like that. I mean, a lot of great things, loved my teammates. So that was all fun, but it was I didn't have a lot of downtime because between tennis and academics and trying to be a social person, because that's what I like to do, um, it, I didn't have much time and that caused stress. So I was also, there was a lot of stress and anxiety during that period, even though I was having fun. I didn't know what I wanted to do after school. So like many of my classmates, um, I said, well, why don't I do something like investment banking or strategy consulting? Those are some of the the big feeders from 
from my class at the time, people were interested in those fields. Tech wasn't quite as big. It was a little later after I graduated. I graduated in 2008. Um, so it was investment banking, strategy, consulting. And since I didn't know what I wanted to do and I wasn't going to be a doctor or lawyer, I said, why don't I try this out? So in the fall of 2007, I was applying to jobs, but the market was already starting to hit a downturn. It was before the big crash, but some of the big New York firms were not recruiting. They said, we're just going to take our interns from the previous summer. In any event, I was fortunate, or I don't know if I was fortunate or not, but I, I got one of the jobs that I was looking for. I got into one of the big investment banks in New York. So I started in the summer of 2008, crash hit, extremely stressful time, even more stressful than what I thought was stressful in college. This was, every day was a fire drill. I had to do something that was an emergency, and then the next emergency came, and I was barely sleeping. I worked for weeks, months straight without a day off, including weekends. So this was a nonstop job. And that's just part of how it goes. Uh, but it was intensified because of the, the prevailing uh, downturn. And also, I was in the group at the bank that specifically covered other financial institutions, meaning my clients were the big banks, insurance companies, asset managers. So I was dealing with these companies firsthand that were struggling. And I was at one of the banks that was struggling. 10% of my class or something like that was cut in the first few weeks of, of starting. So there was just a lot going on. I was a new undergrad and I, I actually was not a finance major. I studied psychology in undergrad uh, with a focus on economics, so behavioral economics. That's a little different than doing investment banking, which some people you know specialize in finance in undergrad. So there was a lot that I was learning on the job. In addition to the stress of the environment, not a good time. And I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do long term, but my health was taking a toll. I wasn't able to like play tennis anymore. I wasn't working out much, not eating well, not sleeping. So I said, I've got to do something different. And I actually had an offer to stay for a third year because the analyst program is two years. And many people just take the offer if you get it for a third year because it's kind of a security blanket. So at least you know you have something. But I, I didn't want to get trapped because some people take the third year and then they go beyond that and it becomes a career. And I said, I'm, I'm going to do something unconventional and not take the offer because I want to force myself to find another job. So I ended up finding another job. I left before the end of my two-year period, but it was in 2010 that I left. So nearly two years I was there and joined a firm where I ended up spending two, 10 years, first in Boston and then most of my time was in Silicon Valley. And I ultimately became a partner at the firm. Um, what we what I focused on there was a little bit similar to what I did in New York. So it was some mergers and acquisitions advisory, but also strategy consulting for companies that had intellectual property questions or challenges. So in some cases, I worked with companies that had tens of thousands of patents, and the board of directors says, what should we do with these assets we have? Because we spent a lot of money on research and development, we want to know what to do with them. And many people at these companies, maybe they're just lawyers or technologists, they don't have the more holistic business uh, aspect of it. So that's what my firm helped these companies do. We also worked with some smaller companies that were new and said, look, we've got a great idea. We're looking for VC funding. We need to build a, a strategic patent portfolio. How do we do that in the context of where our business might go? Let's look at the competitive landscape. So it was very much strategic, but also focused on this technology intellectual property area. So I think for me, it was much more intellectually stimulating and it was a smaller firm. It spun out of the Boston Consulting Group. So it had that big, big company mentality, but it was boutique in that it was smaller. So that means I got a lot of responsibility. But it also meant there was a lot of stress because I was taking on the burden of probably at a bigger firm, you might have multiple people on a team. And at many times, especially in my early days, it was kind of me doing everything. So I learned a ton. That was great. But I was still working all the time. That was my focus. And in this process, what based on everything I've described so far, I haven't talked to you about like a prevailing worldview. I was just trying to achieve for the sake of achieving, yeah, like being on a treadmill. It sounds like there's a repeated theme of stress, very few personal hours, you know, between Princeton and then investment banking and then 10 years of, of working after that. Just, yeah, I can relate to that as far as what you had said, achievement focused, almost like a perfectionist and just working, 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 grinding. Um, the crazy thing about long-term stress is that becomes our reality and we don't even realize what it's doing on our mental health, which obviously translates into physical health and all of that. Were there times during these periods that you experienced any sort of mental breakdowns or mental uh, 
issues or physical issues? You said you weren't working out very much. Like did, or was, were you like so fixated on just, you know, kicking ass and taking names that some of these things went by the wayside and until it became an issue. So what, what was your experience with, with all of that? Well, when I was in New York, that was the most intense period in many ways. So that was, I was probably least healthy then. So when I moved to Boston and then moved to Silicon Valley, it's also a different environment and lifestyle, even if you work hard. So I think that was good for my health to leave the New York environment. So that part of my life improved, but I think psychologically, the lifestyle and the pattern of stress and perfectionism was ultimately harmful. And I, that started to build up. There was like cumulative. And I started in, let's say it's 2014, 2015, mentally was not in great shape because there were mm -hmm. some business deals that I worked on that didn't go the way that I wanted. And I spent so much time on them and it was my whole life. So that was really traumatic for someone who's perfectionist. Losses um, really hit me hard. So that was that was tough. And then just like the dating world was not going the way that I wanted. I wasn't meeting the women that I wanted, like that kind of thing. And then on top of it, and this is really the, the crux of our discussion today, is that my worldview was a nihilistic one. Mm, was yep. that I, I believed that life is fundamentally random and meaningless. So when you die, that's the end. Um, you can make meaning in your life but it's ultimately rationalizing because everyone's just going to die. So why, why should you even care? It's hard to be, to maintain the same, same level of motivation when you've been on the cycle of trying to achieve. And even if I achieve certain things, it was a treadmill. So that was when my paradigm shift in some ways started is that I hit a wall in that period. I can relate to that wholeheartedly, that nihilistic point of view. There was a short time in my life that I, I call it being jaded mm. that, yeah, you're, you're an intellectual guy. I'm an intellectual guy. We like to rationalize things, put them in nice little compartment or box. And to me, there was a point in my life that I thought when you died, lights turned off, nothingness, right? And what I realized, and I don't know if, if you realized uh, something similar, but for me, when you don't have when life isn't meaningless and it's more just random and this and that, like it sucks a lot of the joy out of life. And that's why I like to use the word jaded because I did for uh, a few years live kind of a jaded life. And it was just, there was just no life <laughs> inside of me. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that because uh, I think for some people that's really hard to admit, but I think when, you push and you push and you push that can kind of be a, a byproduct of it. You know, they, what they say, all, all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy. Like, you know, I, I'm not saying you're dull at all. Um, what I'm saying is I worked my butt off for years and years and years and it just, it grinded me down. I was not enjoying life and it just, yeah, a lot. Uh, mental health is just so important too. So I, once again, I just appreciate you sharing that. I think another factor is that I hit two different downturns in the industries that I was in. So there was the, the recession that everyone knows about from 2008 when I was in New York. And then I, had, I was part of a more obscure recession that most people don't know about. And I would call it the intellectual property recession, where some of the laws changed under our feet. <laughs> and there were court cases that set precedent for people who had patents that were previously very strong. And it became more difficult to um, to essentially get paid against infringers who were stepping on those patents. And that takes the value away of the assets. So that you could imagine if you're working on deals that involve patents and the assets drop in value, that's a tough thing. So that was happening on, you know, it was underlying some of the stuff I was working on. So I, I hit these headwinds in multiple ways and then didn't have a worldview that could really support me. And even if I had these successes, the successes didn't really mean much because I didn't think life had meaning. And then when I'd have the losses, it was almost punching me while I was down. It's like building a house on sand. I'm a structural engineer by trade, <laughs> so I love using, using this metaphor. But yeah, if you build a house on sand and that storm comes, you don't have a strong foundation, that, that house is going to topple over. But if you have a house of California reinforced concrete here in Tennessee, CMU block, um, Sorry, I'm going to throw out <laughs> random engineering <laughs> jargon from time to time. I'm sure the audience loves it. Um, 
when you have a strong foundation and that wind comes, that storm comes, you're able to, to weather it. And I, I can, once again, I, I see a lot of parallel in certain parts of our lives when it, when it came to that. And I've heard that from many people. And that's one of the reasons in my, I, I like to share my journey on podcasts, but also my second book and end upside down living. I talk about some of this in a bit more detail, even though the specifics of my life might differ from the details of others lives. There are just, uh, structural similarities of yep. the ups and downs that many people go through. So I, I think we were up to the 2015 timeframe when all this stuff was going on. I wasn't in great shape going to 2016, more of the same. But at that time I started to listen to podcasts. A buddy of mine forwarded me, this was maybe early 2016, a Tim Ferriss podcast. It was Mark Andreessen, I believe from the okay. venture capital firm. Yep. I said, wow, this is so cool because podcasts were new at the time. And I said, this is amazing. You can listen to smart people talk for hours. So I started to listen to more podcasts and I had a long drive from where I lived in San Francisco down into the valley to where my office was. So, and I had traffic, hit traffic every day. So I had time to listen to podcasts. And then I started to listen to alternative health shows. Uh, people were talking about things like sensory deprivation tanks where you float in salt water in a pod. Yeah. So I said, All right, I'm going to try that. So it's just because it sounded interesting. And I heard it could help with people who had lots of stress where you didn't have to take a psychedelic per se, but you could have a similar kind of experience and might have a similar effect on the brain. So I was trying things like that, trying Wim Hof breathing. And I, I came across a podcast called Extreme Health Radio, which is still out there and it's alternative health. And I, I came across an episode. It was the next one up in the queue. So it wasn't like I sought this one out because the title was interesting. It was just the next one up and it was from maybe six months or so prior to when I actually listened to it. And it was a woman named Laura Powers who was being interviewed. And she talked about how she used to work in higher education and had like a degree in political science, kind of traditional upbringing, and then um, started working with people using her psychic abilities and mm. quote unquote energy. And she was yep. said she could communicate with beings, like really out there stuff, other dimensional stuff. Right. And she was saying this very seriously. And she talked for a while in this interview. And um, so I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about. Is she delusional? Is she lying? What's happening? She sounds pretty serious. And at the end of that episode, she mentioned that she has her own podcast called Healing Powers. And I said, well, why don't I listen to that? This woman's interesting at the very least. I want to know what's going on here. And I listened to all of her episodes going back to 2011 because she was interviewing other people that had similar experiences. And these were people who had very different backgrounds. They were from different parts of the world, different experiences, and yet they were coming to a worldview that completely contradicted my own. And it was one that I would generally call spiritual, the idea that there's something more than our body, more than we see with our eyes, more that happens after the body physically dies, that kind of thing. So I was frantically reading books and scientific papers to see if there's any backup for this, right. any real evidence. And then I realized, wow, there's this whole body of evidence. What's going on here? This is the fall of 2016. I was completely disoriented and blown away by this. I didn't know who to talk to. I thought I was going crazy. Um, then I started to like seek out other people that I would come across in my research, like people who maybe claimed they had psychic abilities and had been tested in a lab. So I experimented with some of these people who were able to validate, not always, not hundred percent of the time, but some things I couldn't explain kept happening. So I was having very, um, mystical kind of experiences in that sense. Right. And I was just questioning the reality around me. I remember I was on a business trip to south korea and listening to some of these podcasts on a long flight and it was really starting to hit me at this point and then i got to the hotel and i'm looking around me and i'm like are there things that i can't see just my eyes were open to these possibilities that i'd never considered before and now i'm just going to fast forward long story short that experience is ongoing of trying to figure this stuff out and i've now written five books um, and put out the podcast series, uh, Where Is My Mind? The first book was the one that got me started. It's called An End to Upside Down Thinking. And it's about the idea that the brain does not produce consciousness. And once um, that was out and the podcast series were out, this was in 2019, at the end of that year, I decided I didn't want to stay at the firm anymore. Even though I was on a great track by right. many measures, my energy was split. And I had been splitting it because I had written a book and done a podcast while I was still working. And it was just taking a toll on me. And I said, this is really not fair to myself or my clients or my colleagues. I need to give myself space. So I left the firm without knowing what I would do next. And I've written four new books since the first one. So five total. And I'm still in that space now as we talk today, Ace, where I'm not sure what's next. The fifth book just came out. 
That's incredible. I love how you talk about being at a crossroads. There's been several crossroads in your story. Mm -hmm. And I love how your logical mind will tell you, hey, this is a great job. You said you were a partner. Logically, in the virtual reality world we all live in, some call it the matrix. Uh, why wouldn't you take that? You know, family probably said you were crazy. Mm -hmm. Friends probably said you were crazy. But there's just something that's always inside of us. Something, whether you call it uh, the Holy Spirit, your soul, a higher power, whatever, like your gut feeling, there's always something inside of us that really, when we look inward, we know the answers to everything in our life, where we want to go, what we want to do, but we look outward for justification or rationalization. And I, it always blows me away when I talk to someone like yourself who said, you know what, logic says this, but this is how I feel. This is what I want to do at the end. I'm a big rocking chair metaphor guy. When I'm on my rocking chair at the end of my life, I want to look back and say, do I have any regrets? And it sounds like by you taking a leap of faith into this new realm, not knowing, embracing the uncertainty. You don't know. You have no certainty. You don't know what's going to happen. Like you said, now you came out with, with your fifth book, but you're going to kind of, you didn't say this, but I'm assuming you're going to kind of just leave it up to the unknown and embrace that. And, and it's so backwards to our current cultural thinking. Yeah. So <laughs> it's incredible, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Not everyone always supports what I'm doing or they don't understand it, especially coming from the network that I came from. Um, but I, it sounds like you understand where I'm coming from. I, I look at my life now totally differently than what I did before when I was on that treadmill where I was looking at the next thing in front of me, thinking there was no actual purpose behind my life. And now I do think there's meaning and purpose, even though I'm still trying to figure out the details. So I'm, I'm in that rocking chair position, as you mentioned, all the time. That's like my, my normal state of being of, am I optimizing my time where in this body? And I do think there are consequences to what I do. So I got to a point where I didn't feel like it was optimal for this life path to be spending so much time on that job that I could be doing things that had a greater impact where I felt like there, it was touching into my, or moving in the direction of my passions where I could impact more people. Because now I write books and they have the potential to reach people. I don't know if they do, but at least they have the potential, they're public. Whereas when I'm working with clients, most of that information is confidential. No one's ever going to see it. So it's like I am doing kind of similar work where I do a lot of research. I used to do that too. And there would be a final presentation to the client. It's kind of like that with writing books, except now other people can see it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's you know, this is a superhero podcast. Superheroes are selfless by nature and they have a mission. And from what I gather, you are being selfless in this. It's not about you. Yes, you're, you're learning more about yourself and growing, but that's so you can give to more. Like you can write books, reach more people and affect other people's lives so that they can, because I'm assuming one day in your life today is so much more fulfilling than most of the time you spent. Like obviously being an achiever, yes, when you achieve something, it feels great and all of that. But I'm, you know, I, I meditate as well. I'm starting to get into consciousness myself. I'm learning a whole lot, but the more I meditate, the more I tune into myself and focus on myself and heal myself and transcend myself to a higher level of consciousness. The material world, it's, it's great, but it's, it's supplementary to my own inner happiness, my own inner satisfaction with life, and being able to experience this world now, you know, I come out of a meditation and I, I just, I feel calmer because I've been able to calm my body down. I'm teaching my nervous system that, um, it's not always fight or flight. I found myself in fight or flight. I was addicted to that. One thing people don't realize you can be addicted to your emotions of the past. I was addicted to stress. I was addicted to anger. I was addicted to be, to worrying all the time. 
and it took a huge toll. And this is recent. I'm, we're talking within the last few months. You know, I come on this podcast, I sound all cheery and everything, and I, I I'm sending my message, and I love doing this. But inside, man, I was I was hurting, and um, I just I just get really excited talking to people like you. And that's part of the reason why I have this podcast is so that people can understand that you don't have to live by somebody else's script to have a happy life. Actually, you won't have a happy life living by someone else's script. You got to live by your own. So yeah, totally agree. And I also resonate with something that you were alluding to, which is the inner work of working through the ups and downs of your own stuff, which is part of being a human, I think. I don't think there's anyone that doesn't have like ups and downs unless you're in some kind of rare state of enlightenment. I've heard of cases of that. But most people are dealing with um, trauma, anxiety, and trying to overcome attachments to things that cause negative emotions. And I, I do, that's been a huge part of my journey as well since let's say 2016. That's really been the primary journey. And I feel like the output, whether it's books or podcasts or lectures, whatever it is, it's a byproduct of my own evolution. So I'm very aware now of everything that I'm spending my time on all day long. I sort of take an inventory, not consciously at the end of the day, but I'm, I know what it is that I was doing and spending my mental energy on. And it's like, everything has to have a purpose now. Um, I've applied that achievement focused mindset toward uh, having meaning behind the things that I'm doing, even if it means that I'm playing in some way or having fun. I, at least I'm aware of where my energy is being spent and can be satisfied that I'm giving it my best. Yeah, I say on this show quite a bit that if you want to live a purposeful life, it's very easy. You just do things with intention. Yeah. And it could be just playing a pickup game of basketball. As long as you are purposeful about whatever you're doing, even if it's something that's not super healthy, like let's say you want to go watch the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs <clears throat> and have a burger and a beer. As long as you're having purpose. Yeah. You don't, I, I'm a very healthy guy. I work out all the time. I have a very strict diet, but I'm not going to bash myself if I'm going to root on my warriors and just let loose for a night. Like there's no harm in that as long as it's intentional. And once you start being intentional about whatever you do, no judgment, then you start to have purpose in your life and you could put it in every aspect of your life. And now your life has meaning, yep. personal yep. satisfaction. It, it, it's, you start stacking all these good things, one on top of another, another next thing, you know, you look at your old self a month ago, you're just like, Holy crap. I am a totally different person now. Like I am looking at life completely differently. And it, it is an incredible journey. Just like you said, something as simple as just being purposeful about your decisions, regardless of what they are conscious yeah. of your decisions rather than just being in the default matrix version of life. Right. Not being a zombie. That's another way to put it. There which we I, go. I, I was a zombie myself, believe me. Um, just kind of going through the motions, not really knowing what I was doing in the process or knowing why it mattered. And this is something I talked about in my second book and into upside down living. I ask a question about intention, which you mentioned, but I ask it from a broad perspective. I say, what is the overall intention of your life? So I kind of start there with what, where I come out in terms of the intention of my life. And then that feeds into the things that I do on a daily basis. I, it's, a, it's directing and orienting one's compass first and foremost. And what I recognize is that I think a lot of people don't even ask that question. If I had asked myself that question pre-2016, what is the overall intention of your life? I would not have had an answer to it. Other than maybe I would have said, just like try to achieve the next thing. I don't... I, I would not have had a thoughtful answer. And that's a pretty important question, pretty fundamental question that many people haven't thought about. That's true. Usually when we ask questions about ourselves, most people have not worked out that muscle in a very long time. They're living outside of themselves. They're living, they're telling themselves they're living for their children, their spouse, their um, community, their employer, you know, fill in the blank, right? But once you start living life for yourself and it's not selfish at all there, that is a disempowering belief because the more you focus on something, the more energy you give to it. And if I'm focusing on myself inside, then that's getting energy and that's healing my body. That's healing my mind. And that allows me 
to be a better person, to be a more, be in a higher energy state, have better emotions and be able to contribute and help and be that good spouse, that good father, that good employee, that good employer, whatever your situation is. So I think, um, everything you're talking about is, is spot on with how to live a better life and be more conscious, purposeful, and intentional about it. Yeah. There's a paradox here, which is that focusing on yourself is actually selfless in the end, because when you improve yourself then you're able to serve others in a new and, and much more efficient way. And I'm glad you brought that up because in personal development, spiritual communities, I do sometimes see this notion, whether it's explicitly stated or just implied that it's, it's selfish to do things for yourself, to focus on your individuality, um, because you're not focusing on others and you should be trying to help others. I, I think it's much more of a blend. Like, yes, serving others is really important, but that happens best when you first work on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. So I want to ask this question real quick because all of your books are have a similar theme to the title. You call them the upside down. Now, I am a huge Stranger Things fan and they have the upside down. Any relation to Stranger Things or is there a different meaning behind the title of your books? Totally different meaning. <laughs> I, had, I, had not, I still have not watched Stranger Things. But now many people have mentioned the upside down to me. Maybe I've seen an episode on an airplane or something. I can't remember, but I, it's not something I watched. Or at the time that my first book was written, which was 2017, it was published the next year. I, I was not into that. So here's the origin of the title. So all the books, they start with an end to upside down blank and end upside down thinking and end upside down living and so on. Um, when I wrote the first draft of my book in the summer of 2017, I didn't know what to do because I was working and I had this manuscript now and I knew nothing about books and publishing. Like I just decided to sit down in front of my word processor, turn on Microsoft Word and write all the stuff I had researched about just like I was doing a work project. And so I talked to some people after I had this finished manuscript and said, what do you do here? And they said, you want to get to a publisher if you want to get your message out. That would be ideal if you can. But first, you need to find a literary agent. So I got very lucky because I reached out to a literary agent who responded to me. His name is Bill Gladstone of Waterside Productions. And he represents uh, a lot of people in the personal development spiritual space like Eckhart Tolle and people like that and helps them get publishers. So he responded to me and said, "Like, let's, let's do this. Um, but here's the, what the title should be. An end upside down thinking. And at the time, I didn't know um, that I'd write more books, but as I've researched, I'm realizing more and more things in the world are upside down. So I've just continued with that motif and changed the last word. No, I love it. I love that, that you have a theme because the way you write what you write about, it is completely upside down. It is counter, whether it's counterintuitive, counterculture, it is going to make people that really want to read and understand what you write about, it's going to make them question so many different things, so many different parts of their lives and their experiences. But like you said, when you started to first listen to podcasts and, uh, you know, people like Laura Powers and things like that, when it's so outside of your reality, it, it just doesn't seem real. And you have been a, a, a great uh, supplement continuation to this alternative way of thinking, which I call it alternative. That's really not fair because the more I get to understand and know and learn about it, it's real. I'm sorry. If, if someone turns off a podcast right now, so be it. <laughs> I, I am with you hundred percent because the more we learn, the more knowledge we have, the more we learn about reality. Like one thing, I want to say actually real quick, a dog, a dog doesn't know he's a dog. Dog looks in the mirror, sees another dog, doesn't know it's them. They can't cognitively think like we can. They don't have the prefrontal cortex like we do. Our brains are limited. We can't see UV light. Our senses are limited. And I'm sorry, I'm a devout Christian, but at the same time, there's stuff that we can't experience, we can't see, alternate dimensions, things like that. And now for you listeners, we're gonna get into the weird stuff. I'm just transitioning right away. But I honestly believe our senses, our brains are definitely limited just like any other 
animal or species on this world. And so, but the crazy thing about our brain is we can tap into those different realities, those different senses. And I'm assuming you have a whole heck of a lot you can say about that. So I don't have a specific question for you. However, jumping into uh, a higher level level of consciousness, I get to it through meditation. Are there other ways to reach higher consciousness? First question. Second question. Actually, this should be the first question. What is higher level of consciousness for those Mm -hmm. of listening that aren't familiar with it. Sure. Well, let me take a few steps back here and talk about what, <laughs> what consciousness is, how I think about it. And to yes. me, it's, it's uh, the part of us that experiences. And it's difficult to describe because you can't touch consciousness. We all have it right now at this very moment. We're absorbing information. We have the sense of subjective inner awareness, but it's not physical. And th- this subject has been involved in all of my books, but really was the crux of my initial paradigm shift because I had always assumed that the reason that we have this this consciousness, this sense of experiencing is solely due to things happening in our brain, that there are chemical and electrical uh, activity going on in your brain, and then consciousness kind of pops out. And I didn't realize um, that science does not understand this phenomenon. Science Magazine has said it's the number two question that remains in all of science. Um, and the way they phrase it is, what is the biological basis of consciousness? Meaning, just in other words, um, how could it be that something physical like a brain or a body, how could it produce something non-physical like consciousness? So the open secret in science is that they don't understand it. They don't know the answer to this question. They are assuming that consciousness must come from the brain because we know there's a close relationship between what happens in the brain and what happens to our conscious experience. So someone get, has a brain injury um, and the part of the brain responsible for vision is damaged, then they have trouble seeing, for example, and we can point to the exact parts of the brain that are that changed. So many scientists will say, well, look, the brain causes our conscious experience because of this close correlation. The danger though, is that correlation does not necessarily imply causation. There could be another relationship between the brain and consciousness. And where I come out on this is that the brain is not actually producing consciousness. It's more like an antenna that's receiving it and mm. transmitting it, or like a filtering mechanism um, that's processing consciousness, like a blindfold. So there's a, this is getting to your question now, there's a broader reality beyond what our consciousness ordinarily perceives and the brain gets in the way. So the techniques that, that are happen over and over again, where people reach a higher consciousness seem to be when the brain gets out of the way. And what do I mean by higher consciousness to your question? People talk about uh, being able to perceive more things. Often it's not describable with language. They'll say, well, I just had this very blissful experience. Or sometimes they'll, they'll talk about being in like a different world even. And they can't often put it into words, but it's clearly something expansive. So it's like the blindfold comes off and this perception that's normally blocked by the brain is accessible. And the antenna is picking all this other stuff up. The antenna is just tweaked a little bit. Uh, so how, how can that be done practically? There are many ways where it happens. Let's say inadvertently, people have a near-death experience. So mm-hmm. let's say they have yeah. cardiac arrest. There are many case studies on this. And um, I talk about this in my book because this might sound crazy to some of your listeners. Princeton University had a lab run by the former dean of engineering for decades on this. The University of Virginia, the Division of Perceptual Studies, decades, they study these sorts of phenomena. The Institute of Noetic Sciences, it was founded by an Apollo 14 astronaut, Dr. Edgar Mitchell. I'm actually on the board. They study these sorts of things statistically. So there is real scientific evidence and peer-reviewed papers that validate many of these ideas. I just want to give that preface. It's not just, oh, I think this. Right. People, scientists yeah. are studying this, even though the media and mainstream education don't often talk about it. It's kind of obscure, but there's a lot of research. So near-death experience, person has cardiac arrest. They're clinically dead. Based on what we know about the brain, there's no brain activity at all. And if there is, it's some tiny amount. They come back and some percentage of them in a study by uh, Dr. Pim von Lommel, a cardiologist from the Netherlands, this was published in the Lancet Medical Journal. It was something like 18% of people who had these cardiac arrests came back with an elaborate experience. It should be 0% because we know what their body was doing at this time and they all have a very similar kind of experience. So otherworldly, they were blissed out in unconditional love and lots of very strange things. So that's an extreme case. Psychedelics, that's another way that people seem to have these experiences 
where the filter comes off, the blindfolds off, and they're in other places. Um, meditation is definitely one. There seems to be something about calming the mind. Breathing exercises can help to achieve this. When you calm the mind, get the brain out of the way, however you do it, things seem to expand and there's a higher consciousness, which often can include knowledge where there's a greater clarity that comes. And that is very interesting because it raises questions about where does knowledge come from? Is it just in our brain or is it something outside of that we're tapping into? That's incredible. I know from my recent experiences, meditation has allowed me to really get you, like you said, get the brain out of the way, <clears throat> your prefrontal cortex, your brain, just think, 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 rational, rational. And it, at least in my experiences with meditation, I'm able to calm down. I'm able to think more clearly. I'm able to see more possibilities rather than, and part of it is taking down my autonomic nervous system from uh, from the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is more calm, clarity. Um, and from that, I feel just my day to day, I feel more calm. I feel like I can think more clearly. Sometimes these meditations, I'll get this rush of energy through my body. And afterwards, it feels like I was on drugs, like I had smoked pot or something like that, which uh, growing up in California, I did quite a bit as a youth, not anymore, but hey, if you could do it through meditation. <laughs> uh, but there are studies though that have showed, like you said, psychedelics, you could reach those states through meditation as well. There's, you know, I know a lot of people, there's a big stigma for healing churches, you know, people convulsing, speaking in tongues, things like that. But there have, I don't know, I'm sure there's been scientific studies on these healing churches too, that just through the power of prayer, People are able to heal people. Um, people are able to, lead, you know, get to this higher level of consciousness. You know, Christians might call it God. Some people call it the universe, higher power, oneness. You know, there's so many different names for it. But yeah, reaching, I, I just like to use the term higher level of consciousness. You're thinking from a different perspective. You're, and it changes your brain chemistry. It changes your body chemistry. Like you said earlier, different hormones are getting expressed, different neuromodulators come out, protein synthesis changes because gene expression starts to change. There is a ton of scientific data about all of this. People in major universities are studying all of the things you had mentioned and they're taking results, you know, lab results and things like that. And they're showing all these incredible things. And what I'm excited about is a lot of this stuff isn't talked about in the mainstream, but it seems like there is momentum building up for this type of uh, approach. I know Netflix has that change your mind documentary where the guy takes psychedelics and talks about it, healing PTSD and things like that. And, you know, uh, there's, there is more of an acceptance of different ways to get to this higher level of consciousness for healing um, for, uh, you know, both physical and mental health. And oh, I think just like the pendulum swings, I don't know, modern medicine, in my opinion, has gone way too far to the end. And COVID was a great example of that. And I'm not getting in the political part of it, but that was just, in my opinion, something that showed how far Western medicine has gone. And I think we're starting to see a swing in the other direction where we empower ourselves, where we tap into our innate powers as human beings and healing ourselves from within healing each other, just with certain things like energy or psychedelics or, you know, these, these good practices. And I'm assuming your book does a pretty big deep dive into all of this. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you that Western medicine, modern science, the pendulum has swung in a very far direction toward essentially reductionism, or some would call it scientific materialism, where everything is just material and it's like billiard balls bumping into each other. It's linear. That's how they look at things, which is extremely limited when you start to recognize there's more than meets the eye, that there are these other forces or energies out there that impact all of this stuff, including our body. It, it changes the game. So I do hope that we're going to 
swing the pendulum in the other direction. And that was the initial impetus I had to decide to write a book when I was still working at my job, because I saw the paradigm in science that I had been exposed to that really put me in this nihilistic life is meaningless mindset, because I thought that's what our science was teaching us. And I didn't realize that our scientific paradigm was just off. So I know there are others that have had this impetus too. More and more people are sharing and the word, I guess, is starting to get out there. But it feels like this is going to have to be grassroots in the end, where people are going to, on an individual basis, they're listening to your podcast or they're reading some books and they decide to make these shifts. And I, I, I harp on this point because there are a lot of people who don't want to make the shifts. I found this in my own life. When I first started with the first book, I wanted everyone to read it. I'm like, you got to read this. Like, look, there's so much evidence. This is going to change your life. And not everyone wants to do that. And I had one friend of mine who is really smart. Uh, and when I told him about some of the evidence that I had been writing about, scientific evidence, peer-reviewed stuff, evidence for the afterlife, evidence for psychic phenomena, that we all have them, you know, even if they're mild, that sort of thing. And he stopped me and he goes, Mark, I think you're probably right about this, but my life is good the way it is right now. And I don't want to rock the boat at all. So there, there's a lot of that because, and, and I can relate, this was, this paradigm shift for me has been completely disorienting and has upended so much of my life. So you have to be willing to do it. But I do think for those who are willing, it is a fascinating journey that in my opinion is at least more aligned with the nature of reality itself rather than trying to hide from the nature of reality. Yeah. I keep thinking about the matrix. Do you want the red pill or the blue pill? <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, uprooting your whole, like we said, foundation, right? Uprooting your whole foundation of beliefs. That's a huge thing because with that, as we know, and people listening to this show know, when you better yourselves, you're either taking the people with you that are around you, they're bettering themselves, or you guys are growing apart. And for someone that has established this identity being a father, a husband, uh, whatever, whatever they do for work, whatever they do for, for pleasure. Like these are some pretty strong realities. And once you start messing with that, man, it could be a house of cards, especially if the foundation ain't strong. So I get it. I get it. It's not meant for everyone, but I can say from my own personal experience that if I didn't learn about these things and I didn't go down this path to try to better myself. I've, I do Wim Hof breathing. I do uh, cold water immersion. I get up at four now every morning, do my meditations, go to the gym, all of those things to better myself. I, I read every day. I study. I wrote a book last year myself and it's a lot of work. It pushes you out of your comfort zone, but I feel more connected. For me, it's God. I feel more connected to God. I feel like I'm more of a loving person. I feel like all of the parts of my past, and it's it's a work in progress, but there's so many parts of my past that I've been able to work through and get through. And I've been able to be more compassionate and more loving and more giving and surrounding myself with people like that as well. There's been people that have come into my life recently within the past 18 months that I just love to death. And I just feel so blessed and so fortunate that I've taken what they say, take the path less traveled, right? Like, I feel like by taking this path, it's not going to be the easy path. It's not going to be the comfortable path but I am going to be able to look at myself, look at the man in the mirror and be happy with who I am and the life choices I've made because the things that the truths we're seeking, the things that we're trying to understand and learn from and better ourselves to better the world at large. That's what life in my opinion is all about. And that's a life that's truly worth living. Mm. Well, I agree with you totally. And I, but I know there are people who don't want to go down this road because it is so disruptive. And I'm reminded of some statistics about people who survive after a near-death experience and they come back and they are actually changed because they lived this other reality in ways that they often cannot explain with words. So to them, there's no doubt about it because they were in it and they come back. And if they're married or if they're in a job, they can't relate in the same way. 
So whereas my journey has been a bit more gradual, it sounds like yours has been too. Some yeah. people have this overnight change and the statistics are there are lots of divorces, lots of job changes. Um, but it's almost like if you think about what you said, the house of cards, a lot of people's lives are built on a house of cards in the first place. And even if you were to continue down that path, it would probably lead into some kind of discomfort anyway. So that's how I think about it. It's like, okay, let's just take the house of cards down and rebuild the foundation. Yeah. I, my pastor says this all the time. Most people would rather live in the hell they know than the heaven that they don't know. Mm. And that yeah. really struck with me. I was like, holy shit. In a lot of ways, I was living in a hell, like my own prison. I was a, 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 in my own prison that I didn't even see that there were bars around. And once I broke free of that, yeah, it hasn't been easy. It's a mind fuck and it will mess with you. It will cause you to really go in, dig deep. But once you work through that, and it, we talk about coaches and mentors all the time, find somebody to help guide you. You're not in this alone. There are so many people that are in this consciousness space. Um, even guys like start off, start off chill. Look up a Wim Hof video and do some super oxygenated, jaded, uh, uh, jaded, um, do some Wim Hof breathing, like change your state, change your energy, change your nervous system. Just take a, take a little piece. Like breathing is, is a phenomenal way to reduce anxiety, to reduce stress. If that's all you want to do is Wim Hof breathing, then do Wim Hof breathing. You don't have to go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, or do a deep dive in all of this. There are small little simple things that you can do. And, um, it, it get you know, this, it is an interesting topic and I'm, I'm glad you tackle subjects like this because I think expanding our capacity and expanding our knowledge base, it's, it's where they say it's like a rubber band, right? You pull it, you pull it, the farther you pull it, when you release, it ain't going to go back to the same size that it was before. I guess they call that maybe expanding consciousness, things like that. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself if I stayed in the matrix forever. I would well, not have been happy at the end of my life. <laughs> yeah. I think there's that, that immediate practicality of it, of not being happy or fulfilled if you just, if you don't take the red pill, so to speak. But I think there's also a more metaphysical cosmic reason for wanting to bust paradigms, which is, I think it's part of the reason that we exist, which is to understand the nature of reality itself, the best we can in a human body and to live in accordance with that and to be super consistent with the way the universe is actually set up and, and act accordingly and think accordingly. And um, so I don't really see an option. And that's why my books, I, I have become increasingly comfortable with pushing the boundaries and writing books that I know are going to challenge people. These are not comfortable books to read. And I, I do get that feedback of like, I was really interested in it, but it was so uncomfortable because I'm challenging all these foundational beliefs. And I know that's true because before I wrote the books, that was the paradigm shift I had to make first to even get into a position where I could write it. And it's extremely uncomfortable at first to bust a paradigm. You have to just release. So it is, some people will say the, the path toward enlightenment is the process of subtraction rather than actually adding something. You're letting go of your old assumptions of your old paradigms that might not have actually been accurate and then allowing yourself to be in a space of not knowing and to rebuild your perception of reality. You couldn't have said it better, man. Couldn't have said it better. All right. I'm going to switch topics real quick. I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you some superhero questions. So Mark, do you have a superhero name? And if you don't, what would your superhero name be? <laughs> I don't have one, but um, on the tennis team in college, we all had nicknames and we actually had t-shirts where your nickname was on the back and my nickname was Gobes. So it's just my last name with an R instead of, with an S instead of an R. That would be it. <laughs> I love it. Mark Gobes Gober. Yeah. That's awesome. It's got a nice ring to it. Superpowers. What are your superpowers? I don't like to think of them as superpowers. Let me let me preface this answer. I do I think that every single person has unique attributes of things that you do really well. So that's how I'm going to answer it and we could call that a superpower. And part of my journey has been to identify that and just to accept it and not worry about the things that I'm not as good at and just say okay, maybe that's okay. Um I when I'm focused on something and think it's important, I 
focus on it to the exclusion of everything else. So all of my books have been written in a very short amount of time. It's um, called Asperger's, man. I'm going to, I'm going to throw Western medicine on you, right? Okay. Yeah. La- label it, right? No, I just go for it. Hyper focus. That's one of my superpowers too. I say that all the time, uh, to the people around me when I, when I get focused, it's laser focused. The whole world could be burning and I don't even know what's going on. I wrote my book in a hundred days myself. And so I, I know exactly where you're coming from. When you get focused, it's hyper focused. That's almost like, I guess maybe Cyclops would Cyclops work for you. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. That. Awesome. Any other unique attributes? Hmm. Unique superpowers. <laughs> I, I'm learning about myself that I, I like to challenge assumptions with everything. So if someone comes with an idea, I ask, I want to ask questions about how we know that to be true with certainty. Because many times people have beliefs, including myself, and we assume the belief because of certain facts, but mm-hmm. often those facts go unexamined. Yep. And so I'm challenging that stuff all the time. I love not that. Just, not just metaphysically, you know, politically, economically, culturally. I, I'm continuing to do all of that. And in my books, I go there too. That is true. We didn't talk about it, but you do have an end to the upside down liberty, which I know we'll get uh, <laughs> a lot of opinions, I'm sure. Probably mm-hmm. more than some of your other books, actually. Yeah. Um, superheroes. Who are some of your real life superheroes? Again, this word superhero, I, I don't regard these people as superheroes, but let's just say I would regard that these are people that I really respect. Gotcha. That's how it, I played in my own mind. Um, number one, Dr. David Hawkins, who was a spiritual teacher and a clinical psychiatrist who had his own mystical experiences. He's famous for his scale of consciousness and muscle testing, which is actually what I, I haven't focused on that as much, but his ability to deconstruct the human ego from his own experience as a psychiatrist and from a spiritual perspective. I've had a lot of paradigm shifts reading his work. He is most famous for his book, Power Versus Force, but that's actually not the one I recommend. I recommend Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender, um, The Eye of the Eye, another book called I, just the letter I, subtitled Reality and Subjectivity. There's another one called Devotional Non-Duality, really deep spiritual stuff. So I never met the guy, but he is someone I really respect. And I'm not going to give names here because nothing's coming up top to the top of mind, but people over the last few years who have been willing to speak out against what the mainstream narrative says, even if the media says, no, you're not allowed to say that. I really respect people who do that sort of thing, especially when they have concrete evidence and they don't care if people are going to demean them for it. That to me, that is actually, that's hero territory when they're like, look, I'm going to sacrifice my own reputation. Let's say they're Mm -hmm. a medical doctor and they've had certain results with patients and say, look, I have an obligation to tell people about this. Even if, if the media doesn't agree with me, those people to me are heroes. That takes a lot of courage, a lot of perseverance. We live in a world of cancel culture. People yeah. just, you know, playing it safe, not wanting to rock the boat. And to me, that's self selfish. What these people are doing, putting their reputations on the line you come from academia. I went to UC Berkeley myself. I've come from academia. It is a ego-driven need for just selfish, in my opinion, selfish intentions, whether they're conscious intentions or not, for security, right? That need for security. And yeah, People don't make a change in this world if they're not willing to sacrifice themselves. Superheroes being selfish, selfless, having a mission. And yeah, I've just recently found out about David Hawking myself, and he seems like a freaking pioneer (laughs) in this space. And so I don't know much about him, but you are probably the fifth person in the last couple of weeks that have mentioned his name. So, wow. Um, you know, we put energy out, right? Law of attraction. You put energy out, you get that energy back. I guess I'm putting out this energy for, for David Hawking. And so I am going to buy his book. The one that that caught my ear was letting go. I think that's something that I'm really, uh, working on is being able to let go. I think that one, um, is going to be a phenomenal read. 
great place to start. I know some people um, who are open-minded spiritually, but pretty mainstream, and they told me it changed their life. Oh, that's incredible. Before we go, are there any stories of your journey, things you've heard about, you talked about near-death experiences. Is there anything else that kind of was like a huge stretch for you or a huge paradigm shift for you that in your experience through this journey you'd like to share? Yeah, very, very good question. This this goes in a bit of a different direction, but it's, I think, very important to mention. I would say I've had two primary paradigm shifts and lots of mini paradigm shifts within those. The first is about the nature of reality at a basic level, that there's more that you know consciousness survives when the body dies, um, the brain's not producing consciousness, that sort of thing. But I think there's another one. Okay, let me just take another step back. Part of that paradigm, that initial paradigm, is that we're all interconnected and we're part of something inherently benevolent. Like when people have this higher consciousness state, they talk about unconditional love as what they actually experience. And this is over and over again across time, across different cultures. There's something that people are tapping into that says there is a benevolence here. My other paradigm shift, which came maybe starting in 2020, was that there, while there is the overarching benevolence, we live in duality and there's good and there's actually evil. So the recognition of evil as a, as a true force um, was something I didn't appreciate before. And that would be a much longer discussion to get into. But that, that was major for me and pretty rattling. Um, and, and what goes along with that is the recognition of deception. That evil doesn't necessarily appear as a mass murderer, although it can. It appears as something benevolent. So a notion of like false light, I think this is critical because some people get into the space of consciousness and unconditional love. They don't want to think about anything dark. Everything to them is light. And they don't recognize where there could be deception in some of that. We could get into a whole conversation about that because I agree with you completely just because it seems sweet. Uh, I'm sure there's a a Disney cartoon that covers this topic already. Um, You know, a wolf in sheep's clothing, so to speak. Um, Yeah, man, I wish we had more time. (laughs) I would love to shoot, have more conversations with you on this. So Somehow, some way, we're going to get you back awesome. because I think there's just a whole lot more. I think we just barely scratched the surface, but I'm so happy that the audience got to hear your story, find out more information about you and uh, learn more about your books. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and just being open and honest with, with me and my audience. Well, Ace, thank you again for having me. And I, I really do enjoy these uh, personal kind of conversations because it... I've noticed that it can hit home for people that can relate to certain aspects of the experience. So yeah, the, the nature of reality stuff is, is important part of it, but the individual personalized journey, I think is key too. Hey man, we're all on our own journey and we're just trying to figure out how to, how to get to, to where we want to go. So, um, for those of you listening to learn more about Mark and his amazing books, check out his website, Mark Gober. Dot com. Once again, Mark is M-A-R-K. Gober is G-O-B-E-R. MarkGober.com. Check out his podcast, Where Is My Mind with Mark Gober. And then you can look him up on Facebook or Instagram at MarkGober underscore author. Well, it has been a pleasure once again. Thank you so much for coming on. And like I said before, we're going to find out another way of getting you on here somehow some way so for those of you who are listening mark are you down to come on again yes yeah thank you for offering and whenever that is i wonder what the next paradigm shifts are going to be in my own life hey i'm looking right (laughs) back at you man yeah no it's it's um it's crazy i know today we are just a product of our past so here in the future we're going to be a product of today moving forward till the next time we speak And I just can't wait for the conversation. We're going to get into some really strange things. And I'm just so excited because you have so much knowledge in this field, so much expertise, and it's just, it's very inspiring and uplifting. And so I really appreciate it. Thanks again, Ace. Awesome. So for those of you who are listening, Superhero by Design, we get great people like Mark Gober on. And all we're wanting to do 
is empower you, show you that your life is anything you want it to be, anything you can make it. And I really just, I can't say this enough. I appreciate you spending your time with me. You can be spending it anywhere, but you chose to be here with me and my fantastic guests. And so I appreciate your time and I'm gonna give you my best every time I come on. So with that said, peace out.